0: Hello nerds and welcome to Into the Wild, your monthly wildlife and conservation podcast where we look at what's going on around the world to do with nature and people. This year we're proudly partnered with the Royal Entomological Society. If you're like Nadia and I and you love insects, then we recommend checking out the RES's new Associate Membership. For just £15 a year you can join their thriving global community dedicated and excited by insect science. This membership gives you access to the RES's library services, a digital subscription to Antenna, and discounts on their wide range of events and publications. Follow the link in the write-up of this episode to learn more and join. Hello, Nadia. Hola. Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello.
0: You're, you're in Spain. I'm in Spain. So. Let's get
1: that out of the way because otherwise it's going gonna, it's gonna to cloud the rest of the podcast
0: so okay so you're in spain so you're gonna be dropping spanish words throughout the show
1: potentially herbeta <laughs>
0: <laughs> how are you having a good time in i'm really good
1: spain? i'm i'm actually um remembering that sunshine does sometimes make people happy
0: sometimes all the time
1: no it's beautiful how are you tell time. me tell me what london's doing for you
0: Rainy Rain, 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 rain Very, very, very wet
1: Did you know that the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane?
0: I had heard a rumour But I didn't want to put too much truth behind it Because my rule is just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true
1: Yeah, well,
0: indeed For example, people in London say West is best And that's not true Oh, you're North North is... Both. Anyway, it's lovely to see. It's lovely to see you. So, so, tell me what you've been up to in Spain. What have you been doing? Well, Updating. I'm actually
1: working. I'm actually working from here. But I did. I've done a little bit of rock climbing, and a little bit of bird watching. Nice. Um, and a little bit of, of some. You know, a little bit of beer in the sunshine. I mean, like maybe like a quarter for each of those things.
0: Yeah. yeah. You've got to mix leisure with pleasure.
1: If you work. can do at no, the wait. same time. If you can. If you can work in the swimming pool. You might as well do it.
0: Yeah, just watch out for your laptop and stuff.
1: Yeah, no, it's lovely. I'm really happy.
0: I bet okay, people that give swimming lessons very much do work in the swimming pool. So they're winning at life.
1: Oh my God, I wonder if they enjoy it. If you're listening.
0: <laughs> I guarantee we do not have anyone that teaches swimming lessons listen to the show.
1: <laughs> oh, If anyway. you do,
0: please email in and tell us. <laughs> I'd love to be wrong.
1: I did. Well, on the insect theme, seeing as that's where we're at, I have, rescued a lot of insects from the swimming pool. If I can combine the two.
0: You like, absolutely can. You've rescued yeah, a pretty, lot, have you?
1: Yeah, yeah. cockchafers, um, <laughs> hoverflies, butterfly. Um, there was a dragonfly wing. Obviously that was not alive. Yeah, too um, far gone. So, yeah. So a little bit of a little bit of mixing it all up. But nice, happy. Happy. Nice.
0: Well, nerds, um, it's lovely to be talking to you. Like our first episode of the year was the Nature Room 101. So I feel like this is almost like our first Episode of the meaty. year. Do you know what I mean? This is the meaty one. The first one was just like to bring you a bit of joy in January. And now we're back in February to bring you some hard-hitting truth. Yeah. Talk about some nature, wildlife, what's happening, what situation we're in. Mm. But before any of that, we want to prep you because this episode's gonna be a bit shit in oh. regards to the topic. And that is a pun, and people I'm sure can figure out why by now. But okay, well, shall we go straight into Our first segment of the show. Let's dive in. Which is nature news. Okay, nerds, strap yourselves in for some positivity. It's time for Nature News. Wow. There we go. That was that was new and intense. We know where you are now. Know where you are, there's no confusions. Okay, let's start with our first story. Wildlife camera traps have recorded footage of a giant anteater wandering through Scrubland in Espinillo State Park in the Rio Grande do Sul, Brazil. It is the first time since the 1890s that this large mammal has been seen in the southwest of the Rio Grande do Sul estate. Experts think the anteater came from Iberia, um, where a major rewilding project has been underway since 2007.
1: That's really nice. Okay, well, to follow up, more positive news then. This week, as well, no, this isn't this week. This is actually in January, um, but it's new enough for us. This is a landmark <laughs> moment in conservation history that finally, after years of research and campaigning, we're seeing a really important step towards protecting our oceans. Um, so the UK and Scottish governments have decided to close sand deal fisheries in the English waters mm. of the North Sea. And this is after years, decades of campaigning. And I guess finally believing that the overfishing of sand eels does contribute to seabird bird decline. Obviously, this comes at a really important time because avian flu sadly has decimated between 10 and 40 percent of different seabird populations. And it's been a devastating effect. So it is a landmark moment that I guess the government was willing to legislate for something positive for our seabirds. And so we can think about puffins with a beak full of sand eels and be happy
0: awesome news. Right on to our next bit. African elephant populations have stabilised in their southern heartlands after huge losses over the last century according to the most comprehensive analysis of growth rates to date. The latest analysis also provides that the strongest data so far showing that the protected areas that are connected to other places are far better than isolated fortress parks at maintaining stable populations by allowing the elephants to migrate back and forth between areas as they naturally did in the past. The research published by the Science Advances used 713 population surveys from 103 protected areas from Tanzania southwards to calculate growth rates or decline from 1995 to 2020. This covered more than 290,000 savannah elephants, 70% of the total in Africa. The scientists found that the overall populations had grown about 0.16% a year for the past quarter century.
1: That touches on stuff that we like.
0: Uh-huh, it Less, does. Ab- it less does. about
1: the fortress conservation. Exactly. Oof. Well, nice to hear that about the elephants. So my last bit of nature news today, this is one for policy nerds. If you are into understanding how our legislative processes and systems are trying to tackle biodiversity decline here in the UK, this month is going to see a long-discussed, long delayed policy called Biodiversity Net Gain. Biodiversity Net Gain is this idea that whenever there is a development, that there must be at least a 10% gain for biodiversity. So if you are building something or developing a bit of land, something has to happen so that there is going to be not just the nature that has been destroyed is replaced, but there is a 10% gain. That comes with lots of problems as to like that being enforced and also the fine print and how it works. But at least there is now from the 12th of February, 10% biodiversity net gain has to happen for any new developments. I'm very, very skeptical about this kind of thing in terms of how it works and how it's implemented and who's going to like, not use the system properly because that will always happen. But let's see what comes.
0: Nice. Well, there you go. That is the end of Nature News.
1: I want to things.
0: <laughs> to play us out. <laughs> nice. Well, there you go, nerds Some positivity, some nice things to uh, bubble you up ready for today's episode. But before we do, we've got one more segment, one more segment for today's episode. It's a new one. We've never done this before. It's with our new collaboration, our new partnership, it's time for the Royal Entomological Society segment of the Month. First draft, that.
1: First draft. Well, is this just 90% of the show? Are jingles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've had an update on the show, nerds. We've had an update. We just
1: want you to know what chapter of the episode you're in. <laughs> it's, it's very strict. It's kind.
0: <laughs> oh, it was. It's beautiful, and I'm not sorry I did it. Um, so this is our. RES segment and we're starting with a little message from the RES which is if you are interested in learning more about specific fields of insect science the RES organises a range of events each year this includes conferences for those that are studying or involved in insect science research and application and public engagement events for those that just want to learn a bit more about what entomology is and why it's important This year, for example, there's events on the impact of extreme events, focusing on vector response to climate change, and a super interesting event on artificial intelligence in entomology and how AI technologies can be used across insect science research. And on the point of events, there'll be a special issue in insect conservation and diversity on urban insects with an evening online event. So keep an eye out on the RES website and their social media for details.
1: Nice. So, also something else exciting, the RES is excited to join in a special collaboration with Seaball. That's capital letters Seaball <laughs> to bring you a trio of special seaball boxes celebrating the <laughs> unsung hero of our gardens. And guess what? Every set you grab not only adds to the wild beauty of your space, because it absolutely does. Wildflowers are the bomb, literally, but also supports the fantastic work of RES. So, every time they sell that, 90 pence goes to Advancing Insect Science. And I think we can all agree. We like to learn cool things about insects. The boxes that they come in have little insect portals on them from the RES's 2022 photography competition. This whole thing excites me because anything miniature and that you can <laughs> collect, my inner child is like, I must have all of these. So uh, if, if you kind of like the idea of collecting something cool, you can do that. Um, and each one of those boxes with a little picture, you get a nice little seed box to bring your garden to life. If you have a garden, if you don't have a garden, Take it out with you. Launch it. Put them somewhere else. So there's things like meadow mix and pollinator mix and damp soil mix. So just whatever your soil situation is, I don't know, get the seeds that go for it and, and see some wildflowers and then enjoy the hum of happy insects.
0: And that's the end of the R.E.S. segment of the month. There we go. What's your soil situation, Nadia? <laughs> so
1: my poor situation, um, uh, I feel like... So I used to live in a house with very clay soil.
0: Oh, interesting! Yeah, claggy,
1: claggy. Um, and now the soil situation is: if you can get through the buddleia and the bramble,
0: good luck to you.
1: <laughs> it's it's definitely under there. I've never <laughs> met it.
0: I've assumed so, unless it's just all bramble roots
1: forever to the core of <laughs> the earth. Honestly, I'm I'm extraordinarily lucky that I've got a garden, but. I've not done anything with it for two years so Bramble it is (laughs) it's fine it's
0: absolutely fine Bramble it is Bramble it is right shall we move on to today's topic and our main show
1: yeah let's flow together down the stream towards the rivers of sadness
0: (laughs) poetic a bit sad (laughs) what a way to start the show here we go Yes, nerds, this episode is all about the rivers of the UK, what's happening, what are they, what's in them, what shouldn't be in them that is. We're going to be talking about rivers in the UK, and we've got a lovely chat with Emma Brisian from the River Trust, who's going to be joining us to give us a bit more of a wider view. But to start, Nadia, what we got about rivers? Where are we, do- where I are we mean,
1: going? I mean, to be honest with you, I started reading and researching and thinking about rivers and found just... I mean, okay, let's talk about rivers in general, okay? So what are rivers? I think we all feel like we know what rivers are. Did we learn about it at Geography, GCSE? They start upland, rain falls on the land.
0: They're smaller, smaller than the ocean, right?
1: Smaller than the ocean, but wet. I guess rivers are extraordinarily important ecosystems that run throughout our landscape. And essentially what happens is rain falls on the hills or in places that rain gravers into small little trickles, into streams, and those streams go down and form rivers. Huge channels of waterways that ribbon their way through our landscape. Just incredibly magnificent ecosystems. Obviously, our land is made up of different kinds of habitats and rivers themselves. I think we forget sometimes that it is a habitat. That uh, This mm. is a living, breathing, dynamic ecosystem, which is home to thousands and thousands of animals and plants and creatures and not all two rivers are the same um you do get rivers that behave extraordinarily different some big some small but then you've also got things like chalk stream so depending on the substrate that the river is running over also dictates on how that river behaves and what lives in it some flow fast and some flow slow do you know how many rivers we've got in the UK, Ryan?
0: In the UK. Oh my God, I was not prepared for questions. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go, I, oh God, this is going to show my ignorance. I'm going to say a complete number off the top of my head, 112.
1: It's a great number, actually, 112. It's not the answer, but I just wanted I to But it's give a good number.
0: <laughs> so it's I did, a good number, but you're wrong.
1: <laughs> I actually didn't really know this myself. There's like 30 big ones, but then like 1,500-ish 1, like, ones. Oh wow, you know? what a range. <laughs> Isn't it? Um, and what is what is the longest river?
0: Oh, Which one? I'm going to go with the Thames, but it's not, is it?
1: No, I knew you'd go with the Thames. Um, yeah, of course. No, it's not. It's the Seven. The Seven. Yeah, it's the seven. River um,
0: seven.
1: But I guess I mean, there's. It's really. I found it actually hard to do research just on rivers mm. without immediately the headlines and coming to the dire straits. <laughs> of the situation, rivers, that we've got. Um, And Emma does talk about this when we interviewed her the other day, and I really want to leave her to be able to, to open that door. But needless to say, the rivers, a bit like if you've got an unhealthy body, the blood system is also unhealthy and kind of, I guess, transporting things that maybe shouldn't be in the blood around the body and it has all different kinds of problems. The rivers and our bodies, or maybe there's a bit of a metaphor in that for us. Just because we can't see what's going on below the water doesn't mean that they escape. of the wider issues that we've spoken about on the pod before particularly in the episode about agriculture and land use and I guess what we do to the land ultimately impacts the lives that live on it and so whether that is physically and structurally over centuries we have straightened and shaped rivers I don't know whether you know this Ryan but so many rivers have been concreted over we don't even see them or know that they're there they're just happening underground but also channeling rivers and trying to keep them straight and make particularly ones in our cities, we want them to go the way we want to go. The -hmm. rivers don't want to do that. Rivers naturally, constantly ribbon backwards and forwards and circle around. This is part of their process, they're very, we see them maybe as this like permanent thing, but if you think about time as a wider concept, Mm -hmm. rivers are constantly shifting and moving throughout the landscape, not only the, the channel of the river itself, but also depending on the time of year, a river might be a floodplain. A river could be a huge expanse of water or a river could maybe dry up a little bit. So rivers are a very expressive and dynamic bit of habitat for wildlife to live in. um, And it needs all of those. It needs the fast bits. It needs the shallow bits for the smaller insects that inhabit it under the pebbles and under the rocks. And they're just these incredibly, I think, underloved or maybe underlearned about ecosystems. And particularly, I've been having like insects on the brain quite a bit just because of our work with R.E.S., (laughs) but... We forget so much that the insects that we see flying around, they're spending most of their life in rivers. Like they're these mm, incredible, yeah. like just crucibles of life. And whether it's dragonflies or even midge or lacewing, you know, they're spending their time, mm. most of their life underwater. Rivers can teach us a lot. Um, and in terms of humans and our relationship, I guess we've always sighted ourselves and our settlements near rivers. They, they give us, they quench our thirst. They, we use it for washing, we use it for traveling, like there used to be places of navigation that we would travel to and from places, so rivers have always been an important part of humans and community as well, and connection um and I think, yeah, I just I didn't want to just dive straight into all the bad stuff. I just wanted to celebrate no. how beautiful <laughs> they are
0: <laughs> they really are they are, and I think you've said a couple of things there that i I think scream so much truth in my head for, for things that like they like any other. Habitat and ecosystem—they have to provide lots of different kinds of things. Rivers are not one thing; they're not just a flow of water. They have to have shallow bits. They have to have, you know, bits with trees that have fallen down in them. They have to, you know, they have to be deep. They sometimes have to, have to be really rushing water or very still, slow water. They have to have all these things, different plants in them and stuff. And because of the, the amount of range of life that rivers support, um, and like you said, insects. I know we're going to be talking about insects a lot more on the show, but you know, I think rivers is a great place to start with that because. Insects are incredibly important for abundance of reasons in in rivers from providing such a baseline of the food chain. And they're in the water all the time, kind of all year round, you get different insects in the water and they just provide so much food. In fact, on this point, I would actually like to bring in two voices here as we're talking about the importance of rivers and insects. And that is Rebecca Lewis and Craig McAdam from Bug Life. Now, I spoke to Craig and Becky about the importance of insects in rivers and stuff like that. And first of all, I wanted to ask Craig how we can use insects to determine the health of a river, right? So it's very easy to kind of like look at a river and like kind of, what are we looking for? And how can we tell if it's healthy or unhealthy? But um, Craig told me just how insects are the perfect way to do that. And this is what he said.
2: Invertebrates are great for looking at the health of a river. They give a much better picture of the health of a river because they're there all year round and they tend to live in the same spot in the river during that period. That means that we can get much more than just a snapshot we would if we took a sample of water out of the river at a certain point in the year. They've also got different tolerances to stresses in the environment, so for instance um, some species may be more tolerant of organic enrichment that we might get from sewage pollution, or more tolerant of low flows, or more tolerant of, of excess sediment in the water. And by looking at the proportion of the different invertebrates that are present and their tolerances, we can get a really clear picture of what's happening in a river and what has been happening in a river in the past. They also, you know, when, when we take a sample, you almost instantly get an idea of what's going right and what's going wrong in the the river. And we can use a a, a series of um, scores and biotic indexes. We can take one sample and apply lots of different indices to that data and tells us all about these different stresses. And that means that we can then take multiple samples over year year on year and get a trend over time which shows us whether there's an improvement in the health of the river or a decline. So invertebrates are really powerful indicators of what's happening in the river. They are like our canaries in, the, in a stream, like canaries in the coal mine. Um, and they are, it's relatively simple to, to look at and something that, you know, you, there's, there's citizen science schemes like the Riverfly Partnerships Army Scheme, which, which allows um, citizens to have this informed to look at what's happening in the rivers in their, their, their area.
0: But how amazing is that? The insects can be used to tell people so much about what's going on, and this is where it is important that we, like you said about the shape of a river and stuff like that, it's even more important that we keep these animals in here because they're helping us kind of determine what state our rivers are in. The other question I did ask um, Rebecca was, I asked her kind of what pressures are we seeing for insects in rivers? Because if we want them to stay there and they're kind of giving us these indication of what kind of health status our rivers are in, what else is happening? That are kind of pushing insects away that could be quite harmful. And this is what Rebecca said.
1: One of the biggest threats when
3: looking at rivers in the UK to our freshwater invertebrates is habitat loss. Now, this can come in all sorts of forms, where it be pollution, there'll be modification to the channel, access to the watercourse, not having an adequate riparian buffer zone, but also the Invasive non-native species, which are basically pushing out our native species, making it very difficult for them to survive and um, prosper. In addition to this, of course, is the effects of climate change, heating up our waters, causing extremes in the conditions that our freshwater invertebrates have to endure, which may be from extreme flooding events to droughts, exacerbating the issues that we already have, putting these populations at risk.
0: Now, unfortunately, with these kind of answers, they're big problems. <laughs> so to try and tackle those kind of things gives you quite a headache. But it's interesting that I don't know if you noticed this, Nadia, no matter what species or thing we're talking about, and I think my, you and I might have spoken about this, you know, or just when we're hanging out, with whatever we're talking about, the problems are always the same. Yeah. It's always I know. the same problem.
1: It's like a template. Mm. it's like a it's template always, of like bad guys
0: yeah habitat loss climate change pollution the, these kind of things just keep coming up for why biodiversity is struggling and i think for rivers that's it's a very clear it's, a, it's almost way more obvious than than these issues on land i think yeah if you think about adding pollution to water if you think about like stopping water or changing the flow like of course that's going to have a detriment on the health
1: yeah, and I actually did have a meeting today. I did chat with um, Dave Gulson today, actually, about we're talking about you know some of these forever chemicals.
2: Yeah, it's like
1: all rivers have now got these forever chemicals in them. There's something around waterways and chemicals, and that dispersal of just it seems kind of like uncontrollable, like the distance that these things can travel. I think that's very specific to rivers in terms of of that kind of thing. And so yeah, kind of sad, but but I'll chat with Emma. Points to some positivity, I guess. Absolutely. we can go. I did also, I feel like we can't talk about rivers without talking about beavers.
0: Talk about beavers, let's do it.
1: Just a quick beaver one, because I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did you not, did you want to put Just the beaver? Just a quick beaver one. Where's the beaver jingle?
0: <laughs> so, so, Oscar, can we have a beaver jingle now?
1: If, if you're listening to this podcast and there isn't a beaver jingle, it's because Oscar hasn't pulled his way in time for making <laughs>
0: this episode. He's going to be so angry at I know. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I remember looking at something last year, and I, I guess as well, what I want to bring us back to is what is the point of all of this? So what? If all the insects are dead in the river, does it matter? And um, I would hope that if you've been listening to this for a while, you kind of can just skim over this and go, oh, like, of course, it matters. Like, but, you know, um, like we have said, rivers, as part of a dynamic landscape, as part of a whole ecosystem, are really, really important, not just for the rivers and the wildlife that lives inside the rivers, but the wildlife that lives alongside the river, rivers, for the oh, land yeah. alongside the river, for the floodplain, for the flowers that grow on the floodplain, for the insects that need the flowers on the floodplain, like all of these things are connected. Um, and beavers demonstrate that really well. Last year, when there was really, really um, a big drought last year, last summer, I remember seeing from the beaver trust, I think it was the beaver trust, and I'm sorry if I'm crediting it to the wrong person, but there was this aerial footage Of a river, so it was after like two months of no rain somewhere down south. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and there was this aerial footage of just like arid, arid fields like that kind of like golden gray, and just the catchment area around a river where there was a beaver, despite over two months of no rainfall, it was just verdant green. Like, because of how beavers Mm. have managed to be an architecture of that river system, the land around it just held its water. And I think that was just a really lovely demonstration of, I guess, beavers we do associate with river, but how a river's behaviour when a really key species is introduced back into for the health of the river, how it has a profound impact on the terrestrial landscape around it, and therefore by default the birds and the insects that live in and
0: around the river. You 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 help the food chain along with that, right? You provide yeah. more insects. You provide more food for birds for. Amphibians and and small mammals as well. It's 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 amazing. Um, so, like we said, we are joined. We were privileged to have a chat with um, Emma Brisdian, who is a great friend of the show. Who is absolutely she's been on the show a couple of times before. You've heard her voice. She's an incredible science communicator. Emma also works for the River Trust. And Nidra and I had a lovely chat with her and asked her some questions about the overview, overall an overview situation of rivers in the UK, where we're at, why we're there and what the River Trust thinks are the next steps to go forward to um, improving our rivers in the UK. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, this is our chat with Emma Brisdian. You like talking about rivers, Emma, but have you got to the point now that you feel slightly down when you have to talk about rivers to people? Is it more like, oh God, now I've got to be honest about it.
3: I mean, I don't think I was ever dishonest about rivers.
0: No, no. (laughs)
2: <laughs> just I,
0: mean, to, you, I didn't know you are known to, for lying they're about They're paved rivers. with gold. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, you I mean, more I mean, like talk about your enjoyment about them, but now you've got to be like, well, are you that person in the pub, but you're not actually guys?
3: <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely that person in the pub. You get me on rivers. Now I'm like, wait, listen, here's some statistics. Let uh, me depress you. Uh, um, but I do still like talking about rivers. I do still love rivers. I, I live near a river. I, I kayak. I walk along by the river. My allotment mm. is right near a river. Actually, Ryan, you've seen my allotment. I you've have seen, seen How allotment. close it is to the river? I love rivers. I am very depressed about the state of them. Yes, <laughs> oh. but I like the fact that my day job is, hopefully at least, part of trying to make things a bit better for yeah a type of ecosystem that I just love. So no, I'm yeah. not sick of rivers just yet.
0: No, no, absolutely not. No, that was not what I meant by my question. <laughs> I just <laughs> be like, yeah, sick of them. Fuck them. <laughs> Get rid. <laughs> just pour um, everything in them. No worries. So you're talking from the River Trust today. Do you want to just quickly give us a little bit of an overview for our listeners about who the River Trust are?
3: Sure. So the Rivers Trust are an environmental charity focused on the restoration of rivers. You know, our vision is sort of wild, healthy, natural rivers, sort of valued by all, I think is our tagline. We're also an umbrella organisation, so the Rivers Trust is is national, but then we've got a network of like nearly 70 local rivers trusts, which all have their own... Um, amazing teams that are sort of on the ground doing the work and connecting with local communities across either regions or catchments so we've sort of bring those all together in one sort of unified place and try and make sure that we're all talking to each other and all of that good things because you know um, with all sort of parts of nature restoration and conservation like joined up approaches are just mm. so much more efficient there's so much more knowledge sharing and passion and, and wonderful people
0: it's great having organizations like that isn't it I've Otherwise- always everyone's just doing pockets
3: yeah it's a bit like the wildlife trust like everyone knows that there's the wildlife trust and then there's Mm. all the local ones just the rivers just aren't as well known but imagine the wildlife trust but for rivers
0: nice nice so let's as an overview for you emma as an overview what state are rivers in and i'm bracing myself for this answer but what state are rivers in in the uk currently
3: oh man all three of us just made the worst faces on zoom (laughs) We know what's
1: coming if you could give us this like a shit sandwich (laughs) yeah so like bad news if you could put a little bit good like in the middle and then round it off quickly talk
0: about dragonflies for a bit and then go back to the shit yeah
3: literally (laughs) cool dragonflies lovely um rivers are wonderful for our mental health when they're healthy when rivers are healthy (laughs) when they thrive we thrive you know we've got this wonderful Mm. enduring relationship with rivers they've inspired us from years babbling brook yeah exactly they've been a huge part of like our culture, as well as our like landscapes, for as long as we've existed next to rivers. However, Hit the us. situation <laughs> currently—I <laughs> mean, it's just desperate. Okay. The state of our rivers is dire. I mean, the like the data, all the data tells us is that our rivers are far from healthy. We're literally releasing a report um, around, I think, the time that this episode comes out, called "The mm. State of Our Rivers." Those of- and it digs into all the available data, you know, it has a look at river health in the UK and Ireland. There's interactive yep. maps and graphs and all sorts of things so that anyone can access this data. And, you know, people and communities can, can get to know what's happening in their local patch without having to dig through really long, boring black and white reports. Mm. Um, but essentially, the key messages are they are not in a good way we wish they were of course we wish they were but they're not they're absolutely plagued by pollution you've got chemical pollution nutrient pollution and that includes sewage you know you've got plastic you've got sediment pollution they're also suffering from the impacts of climate change we're getting warmer temperatures we're getting wetter winters drier summers we're having more flood and drought events and we've also altered them like so so much mm-hmm. we've straightened them we've denaturalized them there's over 45,000 barriers in in rivers in England alone um like 45,000 yeah
1: that's a lot i know mad isn't it yeah mad isn't it
3: and that's because we want to sort of control the 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 pathways and the flow and the flow rates and things like that and you know some of those things were really useful when we first worked out that we could do this particularly when we used rivers to get from a to b um but now we're realizing that all of our sort of uh human impacts on our rivers are not doing so well so how do you feel about some stats as part of this shit sandwich love stats Okay, brace yourselves. So, I mean, obviously every country has a slightly different way of assessing the health of their river. So I'm going to take England as an example. The Environment Agency, they do most of the like, official water framework directive health monitoring. Uh, they spot sample rivers uh, or sections of rivers and they give scores on you know, your overall health, your ecological health and your chemical health, things like that. So the most recent data for England, you know, 0% are in good overall health. Not percent are in high overall health. Only 15% achieve good or above ecological health. So 85% of river stretches in England fall below good ecological standards. Oh, Christ. And I'm really sorry. I've just made you make even worse faces. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Toxic chemicals, guess where they've been found? Oh, God. sorting that mean? it shouldn't be.
0: What, in drinking everywhere. water? Everywhere. Oh, Everywhere.
3: Every single stretch of English River has got toxic chemicals in it. And that's not just in the water. Obviously, that affects like aquatic life, like fish, insects, everything. It's, um,
1: it's not great, to be honest. I mean, could you, could you expand a little bit more on us there about the effects? You know, we're talking about poor ecological condition. You know, we see the river as this thing, um, but actually what it is, it's an ecosystem, right? So could you mm. tell us a little bit more about... Um, the biodiversity and how it's affected, but also your experience. You talk about all these um, local networks and groups of people on the ground, the effect it has on people as well.
3: Yeah, of course. So, I mean, we'll start with wildlife. I mean, it's a home. It is a home for wildlife, a healthy river. Like, if you were living in your home and then just every day, every week, chemicals, human effluent, animal effluent, road runoff, and all of that was just being... Washed through your home. Like you wouldn't want to live there. You wouldn't be you healthy. Stay. Stop. Yeah. You'd, you'd crack you, a window. You'd just not be there. You'd, you'd crack a window. And you'd hope that there was somewhere better to move to. Yeah. But what if there wasn't? You know, what if the neighborhood down the road in, and all of the other neighborhoods nearby were, were having these exact same problems? You can see why um, we're seeing declines in insect populations, um, aquatic inverts that will basically form like the underpin a lot of the food web. You can see why we're seeing fish, pro- like fish populations declining. I mean, in Great Britain, I think Atlantic salmon is now classified as an en- endangered species. Wild Atlantic salmon, endangered species in Great Britain. Like they're one of our iconic river species. Yeah. And last year they got moved into that bracket by the IUCN. And all of that's because of like um, water quality, loss of decent habitat for spawning mm. and all of those barriers that we mentioned earlier, because they're migratory species. So there are so many barriers; it makes them so much harder for them to move around and, and exist in all their different life stages. So, yeah, not not great on wildlife, I'm afraid. It makes as sense. As for people, <laughs> yeah, it does. It does make sense. Uh, depressingly, I mean, as a people, like we know, like spending time in green and blue spaces is like super beneficial to our um, our mental health and our well-being. You know, mm. We're in like a climate crisis. We're in a cost of living crisis. We're also in a mental health crisis, and being able to spend recreational time in or around or on rivers you know whether you like swimming or paddleboarding or fishing or or rowing like those experiences are really beneficial to us as people and as communities but now we risk also getting sick too based on what's in the water or we just don't get those brilliant benefits of spending time around a biodiverse ecosystem because they're becoming less and less biodiverse and less interesting and less like enriching for us to spend time in so because they're not thriving we're not thriving so much from them either.
0: And I think as well, like that kind of point to do with like how beneficial these kind of spaces are to us mentally and physically. I think in the past, and maybe, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like that's kind of been undermined a little bit. Like it doesn't seem like an important thing. Like, oh "Oh, yeah, it'll be okay. You'll be, you'll be all right though. And it's like, but you see in more cases, the worse it gets, you know, mental health is, uh, problems within the UK are are growing. And it's a big concern of people having no access to clean, healthy, green and blue spaces. So it's just like you said, there's, a, there's many ways that you can connect with blue spaces.
1: And just that point that you made, Ryan, it's also worth noting that we do have uncontested access to only 3% of English rivers. Yeah. So like legal access as well. Like, you know, you remove people from culturally, rivers being central to how you live your life. Soon after a couple of generations, you forget how precious that blue space is to you know cool your feet off on a hot day and to like and to get confidence as young mm. people learning how to navigate water safely without it, you know knowing that actually the flow is too strong there i'll keep out of it or like they're safe to paddle and being able to read the language of rivers as well it's yeah. all kind of like this compounding issue
3: it's a nice way of putting it read the language of rivers i really like that mm,
0: that'd be a good book title someone grab that yeah. now grab that <laughs> I have um, no, but you're right and w- when you do lose that that's what feeds into that culture of like not appreciating the value of just having that around but it's so obvious when it is suddenly there and you just visit this beautiful you know healthy environment whatever environment we're talking about it just the feeling you get you just feel that relief just lift because it kind of gives you that it's okay feeling do you know what I mean so I mean how long is this uh, I don't know if you've I'm not looking for dates, but has this situation been bad for a long time, Emma? Or is this something that's gradually happened? Or was there a sudden moment where the things just got out of control for Rivers in the UK?
3: I mean, it's really hard to just like pinpoint one exact moment. Mm. I think you're right. And the way you phrased your question, I think you appreciate that. But I think, as we sort of touched on a little bit, we've we've coexisted with rivers for so long. Um, from you know, from day dot, we've interacted with them, and then pretty soon after that we've had some not so positive impacts on them. And it sort of spans out broadly into like, you know, whatever we do on land does have an impact on water. Mm. And I think we often don't always connect those two. So, you know, we talked about when we've we've restructured them and we've changed the habitat for our benefit, particularly from transport and things. But then it's also changes in the way we use our land. So in increased sort of agricultural practices, which favour things like pesticides, herbicides and muck spreading. Um, all of those things uh, around the time that they became more prevalent and more widespread across our landscape, those will too have had similar impacts on our rivers around the same time. But I mean, one of the bigger issues that, oh, not one of the bigger issues, but one of the big issues that comes up a lot when we talk about rivers is sewage. Can't get away from it. Treated and untreated, both of it ends up in our rivers. And a lot of that's because we have a sewerage system that was sort of put together in the Victorian ages and has not been sufficiently um invested in to be updated you know if we were walking on roads a friend of mine said this the other day if we were walking on roads in the middle of london that hadn't been updated since the victorian era we'd be like what the hell are these cobbles this is very inefficient and rubbish we've got much better technology and systems now this is crap but we don't because we've updated them we've invested in those infrastructures what we haven't done is invested sufficiently in our wastewater infrastructure Mm -hmm. so we've got loads of leaks we've got that it's all too small. It can't handle the amount of stuff that's being pumped into it. We've got new buildings being built all over the place because we need new houses. And they're being, in some cases, just added into the existing system that already cannot cope. And then they're adding even more into that. And one of the one of the reasons that um, wastewater companies will uh, release untreated effluent into our rivers is because it stops it going back up into our houses. The solution to that is not stopping it going into our rivers the solution to that is fixing the infrastructure and having a much better way of dealing with the amount of waste that is being produced that's what we need to be doing so that's sort of a long-term problem that's been getting even worse since then because we haven't been updating our systems at scale and at speed and one of the other things i think to consider when we're talking about like has it gotten worse is data because it's really hard to have really long-term data sets that can like actually evidence whether things have gotten worse, you know, we monitor different things because we learn new things. We've got new indicator species for certain things. We've learned more about different chemicals that we now want to track. So like maybe we've got 10 years of data on these chemicals. They might've been a problem for a long time before, but we can't physically evidence that because we weren't looking for them back then. Mm. So it is really quite hard to say exactly when things go wrong or how long things have been going wrong. But what we can say is that given the data that we have now, which I'll caveat by saying is still not enough. Yeah. Things are really quite bad and we do desperately need to urgently act for our rivers because it's, it's you know, before it's too late. So we need them. They need us. Things need sorting.
1: I, I'm just interested in that point, really interesting around the infrastructure being degraded and disappearing. Whose responsibility is that? Is it the water companies? Is it yes. the government? Who, is, who should be doing that? Great question.
3: So this is all a little bit complicated. I'll give you my best answer. Yes, the water companies should be upgrading their infrastructure. That They were privatised. It is their responsibility. Of what are the regulator who are supposed to be checking up on the water companies and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and they have not been regulating as much as they maybe should have been. Um, we need them to be doing more and putting more pressure on water companies. Water companies need to be spending money better on upgrading their infrastructure and also working with nature-based solutions and other things like that. We do need better government funding. For example, the Environment Agency, who I mentioned do a lot of the water monitoring, they're the ones that will go and collect the data and try and enforce all of the rules and regulations that are around pollution. And you need that data to be able to take polluters to court or to even identify polluters in the first place to be able to stop them doing the polluting or Mm. get them to pay, because we like the polluter pays principle. So what happens when you slash environment agencies' budgets is you slash monitoring, you slash data, and you slash the ability to actually enforce the rules that are being put into place. So we also desperately need government to reinvest properly in its own systems of environmental monitoring and regulation. Because without monitoring, without regulation, like nothing's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And it's Oof. as good as just having those rules there just doing nothing anyway like it's just so easy for people to just go around that i'm glad i let you go nadia because my point was gonna be i feel like the majority of problems in the uk have the answer of well we started in the victorian eras (laughs) and it's still like that (laughs) that's it (laughs) that's all our problems nothing's updated and it's out of sight out of mind as well isn't it with the water stuff like you said if it was in the street we'd do something about it
3: but it is, but it is in our streets now. Like people are well, seeing yeah, now that literal is. sewage yeah.
1: bubbling up <laughs> yeah. through like the, the streets yeah. and we're getting flooding. Yeah. I mean, you guys have done such an amazing job, I guess, bringing it to public attention that there's literal shit now in our rivers. And it was almost like the veil has been lifted. And there's mm. so much support. And I think, um, I think just an interesting point as to how much people feel really closely connected to the state of rivers as though they're. I don't know, they're the arteries of the lifeblood of our country in so many mm-hmm. ways. And the the like the public outrage of of this problem is, is really interesting for, for Ryan and I, who I guess in a lot of ways with our podcast, we think really like social science-y in terms of like that people and nature relationship and like how people respond and take action. Um, and I think it's because of work like yours that is being able to tell the stories of of this just ob- like because, like you said, when did this start? It, shit's been going on for a really long time, but it's just reached this breaking point, I guess. As as the system is breaking, sh- shit everywhere, and everyone's just gone. This is <laughs> this is really really bad. So I guess on that point, then. Um. So wh- what would what are you guys saying is the starting point? Because there's so much here, right? Like mm. there's toxic chemicals, there's infrastructure that needs updating, um, there's like gathering more data. What is the starting point for us now? to to get rivers in a better condition? What do we need to do? What do you think we need to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, you've just uh, reeled off some of them there. So that's fantastic. Exactly like you said, we need better regulation and enforcement. We need EA budgets restoring. We need water companies actually investing in their infrastructure. We also need to look at our agriculture and our land use. I mean, agriculture and uh, rural land use are one of the key um, I want to say industries, sectors that are creating mm-hmm. problems for our rivers and causing failures in those health tests. Um, and what we need to be doing is supporting our farmers in the move to regenerative agriculture. You know, basically anything that helps also restore the soil uh, is good for nature when it comes to farming. It's also good for rivers. Yeah. That move cannot come soon as uh, soon as I, that that move cannot come fast enough as soon as I'm concerned. Um, you know, less chemicals, less fertilizers, uh, less sediment, all of that reaching our rivers. We also could do with abstracting less, like we're a very water-hungry nation, and I'm very hesitant to say that this is all on the consumer. Um, Mm. Sure, if you want to reduce your personal usage at home, fantastic. And we've got a really long list at the bottom of the State of Rivers report of things that you can do as an individual that do impact your water footprint or the pollutants that you personally are connecting to a river. There are lots of things that you can do. Um but I think we need to be thinking bigger as well. We need to be thinking bigger. We need nature-based solutions everywhere now. That's that's my yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah, what, what, does river- <laughs> river- what do some of those look like in regards to rivers? <laughs> oh great question. So uh, things like rewiggling rivers. So that will slow the flow mm, of water. I can get allow behind gravel that. beds <laughs> Not, and things. Yeah. I can get behind screamed. re-wiggling.
0: Oh god. Give is, a wiggle. is I've seen it done. I've seen it done in um water. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Lee Schofield's oh, work no. up there's
3: fantastic. It helps the landscape store more water. So that means communities downstream are much better protected for flash flooding and things like that. Wetlands are also another fantastic way of storing more water, slowing the flow, which allows pollutants to be dealt with in more natural ways. Um, It also allows biodiversity to build up and all these amazing ecosystems to flourish. You also need to stop farming or building like right up into the river's edge, because anything that kind of is rushing off the land doesn't have a barrier to sort of Stop it going into the water. Mm-hmm. The healthiest riverbanks and the healthiest rivers are best when they are vegetated, and whether that's with tree planting or just allowing sort of native scrub to to and vegetation to flourish. Actually, giving rivers some space to breathe oh. and allow them to do what they do best. Allow floodplains to flood because that's the point of them. Stop building houses on them. <laughs> allowing rivers to do what they do best is exactly what we need. Um, but Does a that lot work, of like
0: a filtration system having. Foliage and stuff around rivers, then as well.
3: In a little bit of a way, yeah. Okay. It's, it's not like a fix all, but it definitely yeah. helps. But it also slows how quickly water will rush off the landscape in a period of rain. Yeah. yeah. So okay. then you don't get quite so high peak flows, which are what will cause downstream flooding and endanger communities.
0: So oh. lots to do. Lots there's to do. So much
1: to do. Lots to do. Oh, I was going to say you mentioned there that there's lots of things that people can do. I think our listeners will probably like value just getting some headlines of what it is that they can do to care for their local river.
3: Brill. Okay, number one, speak to your local political representative. Tell them you care about the state of your river. Tell them that you want them to do something about it. We're in an interesting (laughs) year, particularly with a general election looming, and also with the public appetite for... I was going to say the public appetite for sewage. That's not really what I meant. (laughs) The public appetite for shouting about sewage. um, That by no means (laughs) is the the only thing I want to focus on. Yeah. We're we're desperately worried about um, you know like chemical pollution as well in our rivers, yeah, but
0: yeah.
3: Uh, sewage seems to sell the headlines. Tell your political representatives that they you want them to act. Ask them what they're doing about it and make sure it's high on their political agenda. And then in terms of like things that you can do at home, only flush the three P's: pee, poo, and paper. Don't be putting none of those wet wipes that say flushable. Absolutely not. They're not flushable. That's no. complete rubbish. Don't be flushing those. Um, all they do is end up blocking up our sewers creating more reasons for sewage outflows to discharge untreated sewage into our rivers and then when they end up in our rivers they end up tangling up in the banks and it looks disgusting and it affects wildlife and it's it's just plastic and then all of that breaks down into microplastics and that's all terrible be careful about what you're cleaning your home with i would say and what products are actually going down the drain if you look at like washing up liquid or some of your like household cleaning products the back of them will say things like this is very dangerous to aquatic life for a long time i've seen
1: this (laughs) there's a picture of there's a picture of a dead fish upside (laughs) down with like crosses on the eyes and it's like yeah (laughs) yeah
3: there you go sorry i was just showing you my t-shirt with one of those on but um yeah like that's insane. And that's just like subtly snuck onto packaging, it feels like, to me anyway. Mm. It feels like it's subtly snuck on and everybody's just like, oh, great, I'm going to have a lovely, clean, lemon-smelling, fresh kitchen. Oh, by the way. And then actually what you're doing <laughs> is just killing everything downstream. And those chemicals are the ones that last for decades, absolutely decades. Um, it's it's insane how much of a problem they are. But we're so used to using them. You know, I think the other solutions are either finding... Um, options which don't have those chemicals in so like i think ecova um you'll have to double check that one for me but i think ecova one of the better brands or like going back to our olden days and making our own cleaners with things like um white vinegar and And citric acid lemon bicarb of soda all of that stuff um Yeah. yeah
0: it's so easy to do it's so easy and it does work and i think these kind of even though these like like you said we don't want to put it on the consumer so much but these these small changes don't just have an impact to what is actually physically happening but it has that culture change as well of just that element of care like if we start doing it it has that feeling that i'm doing this because i care about the impact mm. and then it creates it pushes on to people as well and i think just living that kind of life going I'm going to try this stuff. I'm going to use white vinegar, lemon, and a bit of bicarb to clean my sides in my kitchen and my dishes and stuff. And then it just i do not makes you more alert to the bigger, bigger picture, I think. So those kind of things, I think while they're not massive problem solvers, they're not, but they can change culture and mindsets into how we see the wildlife as well. Um, yeah, they're
3: definitely still worth doing. I, I do stress that, yeah.
0: And the vinegar smell does not last long.
3: Top tips from Ryan. to a cleaning channel coming out? I love Ryan's
1: cleaning tips.
0: I have loads.
1: He's got a very clean loads. house. Very mm. clean.
0: Very clean. We use all yeah. natural stuff. I now wash my clothes with um, horse chestnuts.
3: Yeah, nice. It I've is. been doing that for a while as well. Oh, all right. Not so, it's not so good with like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. Let's, let me, no, no, go let on, me roll that it. back. Let me clap. You tell it. <laughs>
3: No, no. I just, yeah, I, I discovered that a couple of years ago and it it's blows my mind that you can create a yeah. really soapy liquid out of horse chestnuts, which I just used to use for, only for conkers.
0: And yeah, now you yeah, can sport. clean your
3: clothes. It's fantastic. Yeah, It is amazing. Nature has so many solutions. Like we've just forgotten them over the generations and that blows my mind. Yeah.
0: Yep. And then we rediscover yep. them like you and I have going, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm like, if our ancestors yeah. could hear us now, they'd be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so excited about doing Ryan, the washing.
3: let's write a book. Come on.
0: <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> we were going to do a show called Broke or Bougie.
3: Yeah. Oh, yes. What wow. happened to that?
0: I that think we both got busy. Yeah. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for being on and giving us a bit of an overview of Rivers in the UK. It's not That's not an easy job to do, to deliver that kind of stuff. But... Also, oh, you've kind you. of given, You're so you've given our listeners a lot to think about, and especially when it comes to thinking about, like you said, an upcoming election and starting to think about where our priorities are going to be when we start putting pen to paper with this stuff. Because, you know, we're at the tipping point now and there's no room for error with these decisions. Mm. So, yeah, you've given us lots to think about. It's lovely to have you on. Um, yeah, and- lovely to meet you. And we'll catch you soon.
3: Oh, thanks so much, guys. Always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for letting me um, take up a valuable space on your podcast once again. And yeah, thanks so much for giving some space to our
1: rivers and the state of them. I appreciate it. Thanks, Emma. Cheers. Oh, thank you, Emma. That was a really brilliant conversation. And thank you for coming and sharing some positive things, that, ways that we can get involved. And if you want to get involved a little bit more, just like Emma said, they are releasing their State of Our Rivers report this month if you go on their website and check it out, have a read. And so you can be a little bit more informed about what they're up to.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I will link it. Actually, we'll link it up in the write-up of this show. So it should be there now. If you have a look, it should be linked in the write-up of our show. Also, before we close off this episode, because we were talking about Rivers, I did a shout out on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I'm never calling it X. On Twitter. I kind of did just For people... I kind of did, but I'm not going to... No, I'm going to call it Twitter forevermore. <laughs> I did a shout out because we did it about rivers. I thought, let's do a vote to see, out of our listeners and our followers, what people prefer. Is it the Kingfisher or the Emperor Dragonfly? Oof. So, Nadia, what's your answer? What would you go for? Kingfisher or Emperor Dragonfly?
2: Oh,
1: God. Kingfisher.
0: Kingfisher, really? Okay, so I would... I, th- I mean... I think I would go for Emperor Dragonfly. Why? I think I would. Because they're so big as an insect and it's awesome to see them flying around. They are they are really cool. And I've seen Kingfishers a bit, and it is good. Yeah. But yeah, I do I do love them. Well, it was quite close on Instagram, actually. 57% went for Kingfisher, 43 went for Emperor Dragonfly. And on That's Twitter. A good split. It was a what? it was exactly the same on Twitter. Oh. 57% for Team Kingfisher. And 43% on Team Emperor Dragonfly. So I think that's, I don't think we can argue with those results.
1: <laughs> well, Ryan, despite your decades of effort on this podcast to turn people away from birds, I'm afraid <laughs> not to say worked. that our listeners. <laughs> really come here for the birds. They come here for the birds. Um,
0: No, that just leaves us to say a huge thank you to uh, Craig and Rebecca from Bug Life for joining us and having a bit of an input to help us, uh, to guide us to a bit more on insects and their importance in rivers. And also to Emma Brisdian for joining us from um, the River Trust. And that is the situation on rivers. It's not a great situation, but I feel like we have the power to get get it a bit stronger.
1: Turn things around, guys. We can do this.
0: We can do this. Um, thank you so much. As always, if you do not already, follow us on social media um, at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want, we know there's a cost of living crisis, but if you have some spare pennies and you want to throw them our way to help support the show, you can do so at kofi.com shout out. slash Into the Wild Pod.
1: Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, but shout out to my dad who does that every single month. <laughs> he
0: does that every month. Mr. Shake, it does that every <laughs> single
2: month.
0: Thank you, Mr. Shake, for that. It is always greatly appreciated. Um, but until next time, nerds, see you later. Thanks for tuning into the show, nerds. If you don't already, make sure to follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and at Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram.
1: And if you're able to and would like to, you can support the show by tipping us at ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. That buys us the equivalent of a coffee and we use it to fund more podcasts for your ears.
0: But until next time, keep well and live the good life.